I want to invite you this morning to grab your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. We are in uh, the middle of a series called The Other Side of But. And uh, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you've heard the few, first few sermons and you kind of know where we're going with these things. Uh, actually, as you're turning in your Bibles, why don't you do this? I want you to hold your Bible up in the air, whether you hold it open or hold it by the binding, just hold it up in the air. Every one of you, whether it's a pew Bible or your own personal Bible, I want to remind you that this Bible that you hold in your hand is God's word to you. This is the creator of the universe. This is his thoughts on paper to us. These words are inerrant, they are infallible, and they are unchanging. And so when we open up this word, we know that we are receiving truth. And so if we will listen to these words, if we will obey these words, scripture tells us that these words become to us like honey from a honeycomb. They are nourishing and they are sweet. And so this morning, I hope and pray as you are turning to James chapter one, that you never take God's word for granted. Okay. And so Thinking about taking something for granted, I want to start my sermon out with a little story this morning. About 12 years ago, I I took something for granted. I neglected to do and act upon what I had been told. And many of you have been there in your life. You've been told to do something. You decide you're going to ignore it or you're going to do something completely different. Well, my wife, uh, this is when we were living in Durango, Colorado. My wife had gotten into a little uh, scuffle with a, a Colorado mule deer. And let's just say at the end of it, it was deer one, Becky zero. Uh, she ran into a deer in the middle of uh, a dark highway. And the deer did so much damage that as she hit the SUV, it mangled the front of our small SUV. And it also mangled her in the process. She was holding the wheels the wheel. She was holding the wheel at 10 and 2 like a good driver does. She has an impact with this deer and because of the force of the impact, it deployed the airbag. She's holding the wheel like this. She grips hard because she saw the deer coming and could not miss it. She grips hard. The airbag deploys and it pushes her wrist back with full force. So it crushes her wrist essentially. So we go through months of rehab and healing and surgeries. And so she was in a cast for about six weeks. She gets the cast off at the end of six weeks and that takes her into a surgery almost immediately. Now she had to have this surgery done because there was all kinds of ligament damage in her wrist. But the fact of the matter is, is we did not have much money at the time. And all I was seeing was dollar signs. Any of you ever been there? You're like, oh, this is going to cost me. But it had to be done. And so I was just thinking about all the thousands of dollars that we were going to incur in debt after our health insurance or before our health insurance kicked in. And so I was looking for every chance possible to save a few dollars. Okay? You've all been there. You know what it's like to have to get frugal to figure out how to make ends meet. Well, she has her surgery. At the end of her surgery, the doctor prescribes a medication. And of course, we need to go pick up the medication at a pharmacy. And so me being the great husband that I was, I go into the pharmacy. I let Becky stay. She's still a little bit woozy from the whole procedure. I go into the pharmacy. I pick up the medication. And the pharmacist gives me the medication. And this is what he tells me. Okay, I want to I kind of read this. He says to me, take this pill three times a day for the pain, but make sure that you also get some stool softener 
or it's going to go really bad for her in a few days. So what I heard was, spend a lot of money that you don't have on something that you really need and then spend a lot more money on a lot more money that you don't have on something that maybe you can get away with. Maybe you don't really need. I kind of saw it more as a recommendation and I thought, "Ooh, I'm going to save a little bit of money here." So I completely avoid and ignore what he instructed me to do. I go against it. I walk out of the pharmacy with my little bag of medication in hand, thinking I am a great husband. She's going to be fine. She's got the pain pills. I walk out, I forget the instructions that he gave me. A couple of days later, it did not go well for my wife. She, I, I won't go into details, but she was in agony. And I felt so bad because in that moment, I remembered, oh, I was supposed to buy the stool softener and I didn't do it. I intentionally didn't do it just to save like $10. And I was just mortified that I had put my wife through this pain because I wanted to save 10 bucks. And I just, in that moment, I remembered when she was in agony, when she was in pain, I remembered I was supposed to buy it and I didn't. I'm so stupid. I'm stupid. Why didn't I do this? I share that illustration with you because some of you can relate to that. You've done something stupid or you neglected to do what you were told to do and you took those words for granted. How many of us have been there at some point in our life where we know what to do, we know what our instructions are, we know what wisdom says, and we do the exact opposite. We have all been there. Maybe not with stool softener, but we've been there with with wisdom and with truth. You hear the right thing to do, but you refuse to do what you know you should. And I will tell you that the word of God is that voice of truth in our lives, it's alive and it's powerful and it gives us instruction for life if we'll just act upon these words. It directs us, it corrects us, and it protects us. Now, without raising your hand, can anybody in here say, I could use some direction today? I could maybe even use some correction because I'm starting to stray. We usually know when we're starting to stray. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I could really use the protection that comes from the obedience of God's word. We all can relate to that in some form or fashion. So I want to look this morning at James chapter 1 and what James has to say to us about what we should be doing with God's word in our lives. And so James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 19. I want to read down through verse 25. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I want to remind us as we just get finished reading through that passage, and we're going to break that down in a moment as we go through the sermon, I want to remind us that the path of a disciple is a journey of responsiveness. When God speaks to us through his word, we should listen. When he commands us, we should comply. And so 
I want to I let you know as well, I know we have a various range of people. We have some people here in their early 20s. We have some people here in their early 90s and everywhere in between. And I want to remind you that no matter where you are in life, as far as age goes, or in your walk with the Lord, as far as history goes with God, you are never beyond needing to listen and to comply to God's word. Because I think back to the book of uh, actually, you know, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and I think about Moses. And Moses' ministry didn't even start until he was 80 years old. You think about a man named Abraham, and Abraham, he listened to God and he obeyed him at the ripe old age of 125 when God told him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on that altar. These men continually throughout their lives, no matter how old they were, they listened to God and they responded to God's word. And if, is anybody in here 125 years old? Of course not. None of us are that old. Even the oldest of you might still have a few decades until you get there. And so what that tells me is, I am not exempt from listening to and complying to the word of God. This speaks to me, no matter how long I have been walking with him. So each and every one of you, there's a word for you this morning. So when it comes to the word of God, this is where I want you to get out your program notes and you can start taking some notes and filling in the blanks. There are some things that we should do in order to respond or react to the word of God based on James chapter one. And the first thing that we should be doing is receive the word. We should receive the word. That's point number one. It says this in James, and this is where we're going to start breaking down this passage that we just read. Verse 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let each person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We live in a day and age where everyone is in a hurry to share their opinion. Everyone has a hot take on some topic or some issue or some cultural phenomenon. Everybody wants to have an opinion. They want to have an observation. They want to get their word out there and to stay silent on a subject in today's day and age is considered an irresponsible stewardship of one's influence. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, and YouTube, and all these different social media platforms, they have all kind of fed into this idea. Social media demands that we have something to say. And we can't wait in silence. So if an event happens, if a current event happens, if you wait, you're going to get left behind, or worse yet, you'll be considered irrelevant. And nobody wants to be irrelevant. So no one wants to let wisdom prevail anymore. But as many of us know, wisdom is accumulated over the course of time. And so for us to have wisdom, sometimes we need time. We need to receive truth. But in our culture, we're in far too much of a hurry to wait for anything. So let me ask you this question as we begin to apply what we're hearing. Are you the type of person that is quick to speak? Or are you the type of person that is in a hurry to listen? What type of person are you? If you're anything like me, my guess is you're probably quicker to speak than you are to listen because we want to say what we have to say. We have a voice and we deserve to be heard. But the fact is, is that scripture tells us something completely different. Instead of 
pontificating on our truth, we should be pondering on God's truth. We need to elevate his truth above our experience and what we believe needs to be said. And that means we need to receive God's truth through God's word. Did you know that every time you open up God's word, God opens up his mouth? Think about that. Every time his word is open, we just read like six or seven verses from scripture. God opened his mouth in that moment and he spoke to us. He speaks to his people that tells us that he is not distant. He is close. He is not silent with us. He speaks to us. The Bible speaks directly to us. Think about that. Just imagine for a moment right now. Imagine that Jesus were in this place and he were sitting in the pew right next to you. And Jesus had a word for you today. Can you imagine being distracted by your phone? Can you imagine worrying about what is on your calendar for the rest of this week in that moment? Could you imagine sitting here thinking, I wonder if I'm going to beat everyone else to Golden Corral today while Jesus is speaking to you. Could you imagine that? The reality is, is that if Jesus were here sitting right next to you in this place and he were talking to you, you would hang on literally every word he was saying to you. This is what we have in God's word. We have his word to us and it speaks to us and we need to receive his word. We want a word from God, every one of us. But the fact is, is that we can't get a word from God until we get in the word of God. You want to hear from God? You've got to get in his word. You've got to receive it. You've got to receive it from him. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 30, I don't know... I don't know what God has been doing in my heart lately, but I've been reading through the book of Deuteronomy. And, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, it's the first five books of the, the law. It's, you know, it's, it's the words of Moses to the people of Israel. But as I read through Deuteronomy just a couple of weeks ago, I'm reminded, man, there is so much richness in this book. It's become one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. And this is what Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. He says, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. God's word is near to us and he wants us to respond to it. He wants us to receive it. And when when God's word speaks to us, it becomes implanted in us. And when his word becomes rooted and implanted in us, it roots out the evils of sin in our lives. And then we act upon it. And then we do what it tells us to do. We don't dismiss it. We respond to it when, once we receive it and we let it dwell richly within us. Colossians chapter 3 is another fantastic verse that talks about the word of God dwelling richly in us. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says this. Um, I'm in Philippians, sorry, I'll get there. Colossians 3 verse 16 It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Receive it from him. And when you receive it, and it begins to take up a root in your heart, it starts to impact you. It starts to change you. It starts to Um, transform you. And the word of God actually has much to say about itself and its impact in the believer's life when we listen to it, when we do what it says. In fact, if you're filling in the blanks, I've got about five things that it does here in the bullet points. The word of God, it cuts and it convicts. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 speaks to that. You know, when there's sin in our lives and we read the word of God, it cuts us open right at the heart and it reveals to us the sin that is in our hearts, the blackness in our hearts, and it forces us to do something with it. And it also, um, it convicts us. The word of God, scripture says, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. According to Psalm 119, scripture is wisdom, not only for the distant future, for that path ahead of us, but it's a lamp to us right in front of us. Maybe you need wisdom for this moment and this decision right now. Scripture is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Scripture says that the word is a fire that refines and a hammer that breaks the hard places. Fire, as we know with a precious metal, it, it, it separates the, the impurities from the pure metal. You know, if you think about a, a fire that is a forge and it mel- you melt down gold, all of the impurities come to the top and they become separated from the rest of the gold. The word of God is like a fire in our lives that separates the sin from the purities. It refines us, but it's also a hammer that breaks up the hardness of our heart. And sometimes we need to be clobbered over the head with the word of God so that it breaks us and the hardness in us and it breaks up that sin and it softens us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says, the word is, is a water that washes away impurities. It cleanses us. The, the washing of the water with the word. And then scripture says that the word is spiritual milk that nourishes us in 1 Peter chapter 2. So there are many positive consequences to receiving the word of God in our lives. And I think it's important for us to receive that word so that we might be given direction for our path that we might be refined, that we might be convicted, that we might be purified, that we might be nourished with the spiritual milk, that we might even be clobbered over the head when we need it. We need God's word. And to stop there, to just receive it, would be like a spiritual negligence. But that's really where it starts. It starts with receiving it, and then we move to remember the word. That's point number two. Remember the word. James chapter one, looking at verses 22 to 25, it says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Have you ever looked at something with intensity and with focus and really studied it? Because the words that James is using here, the language that he's using here, actually carries with it the idea of penetrating absorption. That means intense focus and concentration. Have you ever looked at yourself that way? Have you ever studied something that closely? You know, last week, many of you probably know if you were here that I was not here. I was absent. My wife and I uh, went to Berlin and uh, we spent the weekend in Amish country celebrating, doing a little mini 25th anniversary celebration. It was a good time for us to get away. And so while you all were in church, we were just kind of enjoying a Sunday morning and enjoying 25 years of wedded bliss, even though I don't always get her the medications that I'm supposed to. Uh, But we were enjoying this time together. And what do you do when you're in Amish country? Well, this was on Saturday. We had gotten to Amish country. And what do you do? You go to all the shops. 
Shop after shop after shop after shop. Each and every one of them sells some version of the same Amish junk, okay? And sorry if you love Amish country. I'm just like, it's all the same stuff. It's just packaged differently. But my wife, man, she got sucked in hard. She's checking out at this one Amish shop. And she got some really kind of cool things. She bought some candles and some soaps and some things to hang on the wall. She kind of went nuts. But what was I supposed to say? It was our anniversary Babe, go spend whatever you want. It's, yeah, we'll just figure it out. But either way, she's, she's waiting in line to check out, and it's taking longer than it should have been. And while we were in line, I noticed this plastic jug that's sitting on the counter. And so I look in it, I reach in, and I'm like, oh, there's a couple of nails. I don't know if you, any of you have ever seen these, but there's these nails that are twisted and kind of joined together. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I realized this was a puzzle. And I thought, well, while I wait, I'm just going to fidget with this thing and try to tear it apart and figure it out. It'll probably take me just a couple of minutes, but I'll figure it out. I fidget with that thing for like five minutes and I couldn't figure it out. It's just two nails that are bent together. So I put it down. I'm a little bit frustrated. And my wife is like, we're buying it. We're going to take it back to the hotel. We're going to figure this thing out. So we go back to the hotel. I'm not kidding. I messed with this for 30 minutes and I finally figure it out. So I thought. I got them apart, and I would get them apart right now, but I'm afraid I can't get them back together because you have to reverse engineer it. But I had messed with this thing for like 30 minutes, and I had gotten it apart. I had gotten lucky a couple of different times, and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself. So we take it home, and I show it to my 11-year-old daughter, Finley, and I think to myself, yeah, she's just a kid. She's not that smart, right? Like, I'm going to give this thing to her. I'm going to challenge her. I'm going to watch her get frustrated by it, and I'm going to feel smarter about myself. This kid sits down with this thing, and I kid you not, 60 seconds later, she had it figured out. That little sorcerer, like some sort of witchcraft, I don't even know, some sort of witchcraft, she completely figured it out. She sat there, and she looked at it, and she studied it, and she figured out exactly how to do it. In fact, this morning, even this morning, I got this thing apart, and I couldn't get it back together. I had to go to Finley, who was on the other side of the building right now, and I said, I need you to put this back together for me. And so... She figures it out. She studies it intently. She gets the concept and she does it over and over and over again. She's just intensely focused on it. And I thought, well, she's obviously figured it out. I'm going to try to do the same thing. So she shows me, she's like, dad, step number one, hold it like this. I'm like, yes, thank you. She goes through all the steps and she does it. And I'm like, okay, I've watched her. I've observed her. I'm going to figure this out. She gives it back to me. Now it's your turn, dad. It's like everything in my memory had been completely wiped. I couldn't do it. And why do I share this illustration? Because I'm the guy that looks into the mirror and forgot what he was like. Don't be that guy. Folks, when it comes to our relationship with Scripture, don't be that guy or that woman that looks into the mirror and forgets. We need to remember Scripture. Don't just read it, remember it. And don't be deceived by thinking that you're somehow pleasing God just by hearing his word. One of the enemy's greatest acts of deception in our lives is that we would just become familiar with the word of God, that it just becomes another text, that it just becomes another book that we read, that we just get used to it. I really think the enemy is okay with us knowing scripture, but I think what he really wants is for us to know it so well and to read it so many times, but not act upon it, that we just become apathetic toward it. Because a seed sown doesn't automatically equal a plant grown. 
Satan would love for you to grow familiar and apathy toward the word of God. That's his ultimate deception. And to think that you've heard it all, as long as you've been walking with Christ, and that there is nothing more you need to do is tremendous foolishness. We all need to respond to, to God's word. In fact, I want to ask you to make it very practical here this morning. When was the last time, when was the last time that you truly absorbed God's word and you chewed on it? I mean, when was the last time that you slowed down in a moment and you said, I am going to be quick to listen. I'm going to hurry up and I'm going to listen and I'm going to be still right in this moment because God wants to say something to me and I will stay here until he speaks. When was the last time you did that? Because most of us, my guess is, is that we're in a hurry to read through that daily devotion. We're in a hurry to read that prescribed number of chapters so that we can stay on track to read the whole Bible throughout the, the, the rest of this year. And so many times we get in a hurry and we don't slow down to listen to God. Folks, I would tell you that God's word in our life needs to become more precious to us than our time, more precious to us than our treasures, more precious to us than the abundance of gold, Psalm chapter 19 says. Is his word that precious to you in your life? Because if all we do is listen to God's word when we gather for worship, then we are like the fool in James chapter 1 who looks and then forgets. Psalm chapter 119 verse 11 gives us the remedy to that. The psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So receive the word of God. Remember the word of God. Store up the word of God in your heart. And then number three, respond to the word of God. Respond to the word of God. Verse 22, James chapter 1 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James tells us that you've not really, really listened to the word of God until you've obeyed the word of God. And the word of God demands that we have an active relationship with it. It is not meant to be passively received and remembered. It's meant to be actively responded to. And until you respond to it, you haven't actually received it or remembered it. And I think it's a dangerous thing to hear the word of God preached and to walk out and to do nothing with it. To just say, well, that was good and just go about your day and say, that has not changed me whatsoever. In fact, I would say it's probably more than foolish. It's actually arrogance. Because this is what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. I want to read a few verses. This is what he said to his followers in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. A wise man who built his house on the rock And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, they'll be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The fool says, I come to church, I hear God's word. I'm not going to do anything with it because I've heard it a thousand times. The arrogant person says, I hear what the word is saying right here in this moment, in this place, but somebody else needs to respond to it. Somebody else needs to hear this. This is not for me because I have grown in my sanctification. I have grown in my discipleship to the point where I don't have to be impacted by it. Can I say the thing that most of us don't want to hear this morning? I'm kind of stepping on toes a little bit. 
I think we are far better hearers of the word than we are doers of the word. And that doesn't always feel good to hear, but I think what it does is it leads to a spiritual deception in our lives. And I found this quote this week by Charles Spurgeon. He used in a sermon one time. He said, to deceive is bad. To deceive yourself is worse. But to deceive yourself about your soul is worst of all. There are a lot of Christians who are deceiving, deceiving their souls because they are not letting the Word of God impact them. They mark up their Bibles, but they don't let their Bibles mark them up. You know what I'm saying? Like they love to highlight, they love to write notes, they love to, to have all the information, but they don't let it travel from here to here. They don't get marked by the Word of God. I think there's a lot of us that have been deceived by listening to the Word of God and just reading the Word of God and receiving it and remembering it. When was the last time you walked out of this place and said, I need to change? Something has to happen because of what I just heard from God's Word. I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor. I like it when you all are generous with your compliments. I get compliments from you folks all the time. I get some of you that text me on a Sunday afternoon and say, that was a great sermon, Pastor. I loved it. Some of you hit me up in the, in the lobby out there or on the way out. And I love those. Like every pastor wants to know that the sermons that they preach are actually landing and people appreciate hearing the word of God. It, it's just kind of an affirmation in some ways that all the work that you put into it is being received. And as much as I like those compliments, and I want you to keep complimenting me, I'm not telling you not to, um, what I love to hear is something completely different. What I love to hear is, Pastor, I needed to hear those words, and I have to go home, and I have to respond to them. I have to go out of this place, and I need to make a change. Change is coming in my life. Man, God has given me the gift of exhortation. I don't just stand up here and share a bunch of knowledge and a bunch of like theology, deep theology. I wish I was a smarter pastor. I wish I had more like deeper understanding of scripture. But what I try to do is give you what I have and what God has given me. And I try to give you something that's practical so you can walk out of this place and say, this is what I need to work on. That's the exhortation in me. I want to exhort you to good works. But so many times we walk out of this place and we are unchanged. And we refuse to respond to God's word. But when you do, when you respond to God's word, James chapter 1 verse 25 says, you will be blessed. He says this, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You are not blessed just in hearing. You are blessed in doing. So receive the word. Respond to the word. Remember the word. Do the word. And then James goes on in chapter 1. He goes further on, verses 26 and and 27. He kind of closes out this chapter. He starts to describe what it looks like to be a truly religious person. Some of you might think, myself included, I'm pretty spiritual. I've been doing this Christian thing for a long time. I'm, I'm 35 years into my discipleship. I've heard a lot of scripture. I've made a lot of changes. I'm pretty spiritual. I might even be, be considered by some to be religious. Maybe that's you in here today because you've been walking with Jesus for so long. But James has something very specific to say about what spirituality is. 
when we respond to God's word and faith and action, these are some of the very tangible things that we should be doing. Three quick things. Number one, tame the tongue. This is kind of a, uh, an illustration of personal restraint. Tame your tongue. Verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Imagine that. All the knowledge that you have, all the theological training that you might have received, all the sermons that you have heard, all of the, the blogs that you have read, all of, you know, all of the teaching that you have received. The Bible says if you can't tame your tongue, which is a mirror of the heart, your religion is worthless. You want to be religious? You want to be spiritual? You want to put your faith into action? Work on bridling your tongue. Tame the tongue. That means when the word of God takes root in you, you respond differently. You speak differently. You react differently. In anger, you, you say different things. You don't scorn people. You don't scoff at people. You don't curse in anger. You don't participate in that gossip. In fact, I literally just texted my daughter at the very beginning of the service, my 20-year-old daughter, who says, I'm basically... I'm being told by one of my good friends that she is going to fill me in on all the juicy details of something she has no business being a part of. I texted her back as we were worshiping. I apologize for that. But I said, hey, had it ever occurred to you to just tell her I want no part of this? Like, don't tell me. I'll find out when I need to know. Tame the tongue. This is what spiritual people do. This is what discipled people do. This is what religious people do. And then number two, aid the afflicted. This is this is kind of public service. Like the first one is kind of like personal restraint. This is public service. Look at the first part of verse 27. It says this, religion that is pure and undefiled, pure and undefiled. This is the kind of religion that we want. Before God, the father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You know, true religion and obedient Christianity means looking after those who have been forgotten by society. Those who have been afflicted those who have been marginalized. Just imagine what it must have been like 2,000 years ago for a wife, for a woman who had children but no husband. She could not work. She could not provide for her kids. Imagine how difficult that must have been. Imagine being an orphan 2,000 years ago, trying to, trying to figure out how to make it, how to survive the next day, having no one to protect you, no one to look out for you. Because remember, there weren't really government assistance programs. There weren't a lot of nonprofits that were doing humanitarian work. There wasn't a lot of social services back in those days. And there weren't a lot of charities either. And so the church stepped in and did what the church needed to do because this is what God commands us to do, is to look after the afflicted. We need to be a part of the solution to the problem. It was the solution 2,000 years ago for Christians to be involved. It's the solution 2,000 years later for us to be involved. And the interesting thing about this is that James is not saying this is one of many options for you as a Christian. He's saying this is what we should be about. This is pure and undefiled religion. This is what you should be doing because it expresses and it reflects the heart of God. And what is the heart of God? We find it in Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. This is the kind of father that we have when we are his children. He is a father to the fatherless. And he loves his children. He is a protector of widows. 
So therefore, if we want to be truly spiritual, we want to be truly advanced in our religion, and we want to be pure and undefiled, we have to aid the afflicted. And then number three, submit to sanctification. This is, I guess, spiritual holiness. The last part of chapter one, the second part of verse 27, it says this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Submit to sanctification. You know, the fact is, is that we cannot not be in this world. We are in this world. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we have to be in this world. But the, 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 the Bible never calls us to be of this world. It says to be in this world. The Bible never tells us to be in solidarity with the world, but to be sanctified from it. As Jesus grows larger and larger and larger in your life, the things of the world, the things that dishonor God, the things that the world chases after that are not holiness and righteousness should become dimmer and dimmer and smaller and smaller. The world is chasing after promiscuity and pleasure and prosperity, but Christians, we need to be, we need to be pursuing after purity and holiness and sanctification. In fact, First Timothy, I want to read just couple more verses to you. First Timothy speaks to this. Um, let me get there real quick. He tells us what we should flee and what we should pursue. First Timothy chapter um, 6 verses 11 and 12 says this, but as for you, O man of God, flee these sinful things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Folks, if you want to be a a Christian that lives out pure and undefiled religion, then we need to flee for the thing from the things that are anti-Christ, and we need to pursue things that bring honor to God, things that are righteous and things that are godly and pure and things that are faith-filled and full of love and gentleness. These are all action verbs. These these tell us that we need to put feet to the fire. We need to put action to what we say we believe. Sanctification is a partnership between us and God. When we pursue holiness, God brings the transformation. God does the heart work. He does the work that we cannot inside, but we have to partner in this act of sanctification. So become a responder to God's word. And we will become a pure church. We will become a people that are distinct from the culture. We will become a people that have transformed and look appealing to the world that has lost its way. And I want to be honest with you in closing out this morning. I got to be honest with you. When it comes to God's word, man, I struggled for years to find traction. Even as a pastor, I struggled to find like a rhythm that was really good for me. I definitely read the Bible, but it was probably more for consumption than it was for comprehension. I knew the word, but I don't know that I was responding to the word. And I was really growing frustrated by this about two or three years ago. And I came across a a method, if you will. Uh, It's a journaling method called the HERE method. Maybe you've heard of this before, but HERE is an acronym for highlight, explain, apply, and respond. And I decided I'm going to spend a year working through scripture and I'm going to journal every time I open the Bible and I'm going to journal through this acronym. And it just so happens that this week I came across a journal entry from Malachi chapter 2 on September 13th, 2022. So just under a year ago, 
This was my journal, and I want to read through it. It's not extremely personal, but this is how I responded and how I engaged to Scripture. Malachi 2.7, this is the highlight verse. Because what I do is I, I read through a chapter or two a day. I ask the Lord to give me a verse. Give me one verse that I can highlight that you are speaking to me. And this is the verse that he gave me. Verse 7 says this, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. So that's the highlight verse. The explain verse. This is the point where I explain what's happening in the context of history. Malachi, this is what I wrote down. Malachi was giving instructions to the Levitical priests, the spiritual leaders of the nation, that they should be careful to protect the purity of the temple and the truth of God's word that is being taught within it. They'd failed to do this, and the people did not desire the teaching of the word of God. And under the apply, this is where I said, okay, how do I apply this to, to, to today, to myself? I said this, as a church, we should have spiritual leaders, pastors, and elders who faithfully preach and protect the truth of God's word. The people should come prepared to hear God's word taught to them. They should crave it. The pastor is the messenger of the God of heaven's armies. And so here, that's the application. And now it's my turn to respond. What am I going to do with this? So this is kind of my prayer and response. God, as I receive more and more opportunities to preach the word of God to your people, may I preach it purely and faithfully. Give me the understanding to protect truth in a day when everything that is true is being torn down to the foundation. Give your people an appetite for the truth of your word and a respect for your prophetic messenger. May they become doers of the word that they crave to hear. This is my heart for you. This is my heart for me, that we would not just hear the word of God spoken, but that we would determine that we will respond to it. We will be doers of it. So this morning, what's the challenge for you as you leave this place? Maybe your time in the word of God has become stale. Maybe it's just kind of grown stagnant and you need a kickstart. I would challenge you to use this here method. Highlight, explain, apply, respond, and see how you engage differently with God's word. See how he speaks to you, but not only how he speaks to you and how you receive it, but how you will respond to it. That's my prayer for you, that you leave this place different every time you hear his word preached. Let's pray.